Good evening, everyone. <coughs> Thanks for coming out this evening. We are continuing our study in memorable verses of the Bible. Tonight it is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We do not have a handout tonight, and uh, we invite you to turn in your Bibles to that verse as we consider it together. In some ways, this message is a continuation and application of the message of this morning, of our giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to say that everything that we do should bring honor and glory to God. But how do we really go about that practically? How can we live our lives in such a way that God is honored and glorified in everything that we do, no matter how small nor how large? Well, obviously there has to be a great deal of intentionality. It isn't going to just happen. It isn't natural for us to live our lives to the honor and glory of God, so it has to be in the forefront of our thinking. We need to meditate upon it, we need to pray about it, and we need to reflect as we go about living our daily lives. There are many, many difficult choices in life, in deciding what we should do and how involved we should be in various activities and endeavors as a Christian. How am I going to decide about everyday circumstances in life? How can I decide what I should do or should not do? Well, in answering that question, it is much more than simply saying that, well, I'm not going to do those things that are sinful. That is a no-brainer. That is obvious that we're going to choose not to sin or do those things that would bring dishonor and, and fail to glorify God. But just because something is not sinful does not mean that it is necessarily something that I ought to do or that I ought to spend my time, my precious time, in order to be engaged in. Furthermore, life's choices are not made in isolation. Oftentimes there are a series of choices. One choice naturally leads into another choice. Choices are compounded, and choices affect the opportunities for other choices. For example, if I decide to be somewhere on Monday afternoon, then it excludes all the opportunities that would be available to me to be somewhere else on Monday afternoon. So in making a choice, I'm also alleviating other choices and other opportunities. So the issue of priority starts raising its head in a very significant way. Again, choices have impact upon other choices. 
if I purchase X, then I may not have enough money to buy Y. So as I think about this purchase of X, I've got to think about Y and Z and all the other things that are necessary for my existence and my purpose. Oftentimes, if I buy X, then X has to be maintained. It has to be kept up. It has to be looked after. And so X takes more money than just simply the initial outlay. So as we think about this big subject of bringing honor and glory to God, I'm going to go far beyond the immediate text, although the immediate text certainly has great relevance, but I want to address this everything aspect, do everything to the honor and glory of God. And so that obviously is going to take us far beyond the immediate context of the eating and drinking as it relates to the offering to idols. But simply put, anything that refers to, the Bible refers to as sinful, or the Bible commands us not to do, obviously we avoid. The Bible is our objective standard. Therefore, it should be taken as the final authority. However, there are many behaviors, as I've already been describing, and activities that are not sinful in and of themselves, but still should be avoided. This is quite subjective. So what criteria can we use to make decisions regarding subjective activities or behaviors that should be avoided? Well, the first two do come out of our text, the immediate context. The first is that the question we must ask is, the particular activity enslaving or addicting? Is the personal activity enslaving or addicting? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So that's where we get this concept of that which is enslaving or addicting, that which dominates me. NAS translates it as mastered by anything. So as I begin to make decisions, I need to ask myself, is it a vice? Is it a vice? A vice is that which gains power or control over us. A vice is a moral fault or failing that holds us in its grasp. I love word pictures. And as I think of the word vice, I think of either a vice that sits on a table that securely holds something in its place, or I think of vice grip pliers that you can crunch down upon a bolt and hang onto it with a great deal of force. What areas of life can be all-encompassing so that they become a vice, that they get a real hold on me? Here are some questions to ask. 
ourselves whether or not I'm becoming enslaved to a behavior or, a, or an activity. First, do I have a problem stopping either short-term or long-term? Do I have difficulty in walking away from this particular activity or involvement? Do I have a compulsion to do it? That is strong urges that need to be satisfied. And I just feel driven to spend my time doing such and such. Am I losing sleep over it? Do I stay up late at night in order to engage in this particular activity? Am I neglecting responsibilities to make time for it? Am I wasting money on it that needs to go to other things? I'm not going to quote-unquote spiritualize everything tonight, for this verse is talking about every aspect of our lives, and we don't want to compartmentalize our lives into that which is spiritual and that which is uh, non-spiritual or material or secular. We, we don't want to just be looking at applications that fit into the normal religious boundaries. For example, it's easy when we look at this and we talk about these endeavors then to ask the question, is it taking time away from our gathering together for worship? Is this activity that I'm engaged in taking place on weekends in which I just don't have the opportunity to worship like I would like to because I'm engaged in doing such and such? Is it taking my finances so that I am not able, in my estimation, to give the tithes and offerings that I know that I should be contributing. Obviously, those things are not bringing honor and glory to God. But again, it's much broader than what we just think of as taking place within the confines of the church walls. We need to ask ourselves, is it harmful in any way? Is it harmful to me physically? Is it harmful to me emotionally? Is it harmful to me spiritually? If we answer yes to any of those questions, we need to consider and reflect more closely on the appropriateness of the behavior that we're engaging in. The second question to ask when making a decision about a behavior activity, is it beneficial in some way? Again, 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. It's the same verse, but it adds this. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So the word translated as helpful has the following range of meanings. To help, to confer a benefit, to be advantageous, or profitable or useful. The second word translated as build up literally means to build up or to restore. So some categories and questions that I can ask myself to evaluate the worthiness of an activity or behavior are these. 
Is it strengthening me in some way? Is it making me a better person, if you will? Is it building me up physically? Is it building me up spiritually? Or is it building me up emotionally? Is there some kind of tangible reward that, that I am getting from this, some, some benefit? Is it restorative in some way? Do I find it to be relaxing? It's okay to relax. It's okay to enjoy life. So we're not just talking about things that are odious or things that are difficult or things to, that are hard. Do I find it relaxing? Do I find it that, that by doing this, I'm not under so much stress, that, that I feel refreshed? That has a value. That has a benefit. Is it soothing in some way? Does it bring me comfort? Does it relieve my pain? Is it making life better? Is it helping me to overcome some kind of destructive behavior? Am I supplanting something that is negative in my life with something that is very positive? That can be very good. That can be very helpful. Is it making me a better person in some way? Am I acquiring a useful skill through doing this? Am I learning something of value, something that I can use for the rest of my life or that I can put to good use in helping others? Am I developing a virtue as a result of this behavior? Am I learning personal discipline? Am I learning patience? Am I learning to persevere by engaging in this activity? Is it helping me to become more productive? Do I find myself as a result getting more done? Is it in some way helpful to others? Am I producing something that is useful, beneficial, things that I could give away or sell? Is it benefiting someone in a tangible way who has a hardship, who has a need, and I'm able to provide it as a result of this activity or this engagement? Is it positively inspiring or worthy of imitation? Am I developing a skill that others may see is valuable and they want to develop that skill as well? All of these things are positive and beneficial. Thirdly, the question we must ask ourselves is, will it dishonor God in any way? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Obviously, if it dishonors God, it's not going to glorify God. So I need to ask myself, will it bring a reproach to Christ if I do it? And let me just put here a caveat, and that is a real reproach. And what I mean by a real reproach is that which is against the very desire and will of God. For unfortunately, there are a lot of very judgmental people 
that will find faults with a variety of behaviors that are not necessarily wrong or sinful in and of themselves. So when I talk about a reproach, there could be someone that is upset if you engage in a certain activity. If someone thinks that pocket, excuse me, if somebody thinks that watches are, are not appropriate and you keep looking at your watch, they may be offended. Well, that's not a real reproach. That person's got a problem. So I'm not talking about problems that people have, but I'm, I'm talking about things that, that are truly should bring a reproach that, that's really unacceptable for a Christian to be engaged in. So is what am I doing inconsistent with my claims to be a follower of Christ? We should conduct ourselves in an honorable way while engaging in the activity or behavior. Is the manner in which I'm doing something robbing God of the glory that belongs to him? So now let's try to be a little more specific. Let's try to narrow the field a little. First, first, if we're going to bring glory to God in all things, it means at least this. First, that we defer praise from ourselves to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 115, 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us. There are many things that we will do that people will praise us for. That can be addicting. We can get to the point where we do it just because we like praise. But even far less than that, we simply might accept the praise. And we might relish the praise. But all praise and honor should go to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see, the things that we are often praised for, the musical abilities, the intellect, the athletic prowess, all of those Talents and those abilities start with a sovereign God who dispenses to us, according to his will, characteristics. He enables us. And so when we use our God-given gifts, it is praiseworthy, of course, to try to make the most of those gifts, to hone those gifts, to develop those gifts. And obviously, we can take music lessons and we can practice hard. But the bottom line is that if you don't have any musical skill, you can practice all day long and you're still going to be pretty poor. If you don't have any speed and if you don't have any hand and eye coordination, you can be standing out in an outfield flagging balls 
for three hours a, a, a day and you're not going to become a world-class athlete. Those things for which we have a tendency to be praised, we personally need to acknowledge God's goodness to us. God's grace to us. False humility says, I can't do anything. That's false humility. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. But we all have things that we can do pretty well. And we can be useful. Humility is not denying the God-given abilities. Humility is recognizing the source of those divine-given abilities. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's a recognition of I am who I am because of the way in which God made me. And if he made me quite differently, I would be a very different person from what I am. I have certain abilities. They didn't come from me. They come from God. You have abilities. They didn't come from you. They, they came from God. Anything that we have done that is good or noteworthy or meriting praise as a result of God's grace and enablement. There's a very interesting psalm, Psalm 124, and it reads as follows. It's Israel recounting its history and its victory in warfare. And it's reflecting on all the, the past accomplishments of the nation of Israel, everything from leaving Egypt to conquering the promised land. And here's the summation. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, I love that part. It states a premise. If it not had been the Lord who was on our side. And then it takes that premise and says, let Israel say, let, let us agree in our hearts and let us speak forth this truth. Okay? So, if it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was killed against us. May we say, what gave us the victory? It was God on our side. It was God on our side. May we not just realize that truth, but may we declare that truth. That glorifies God. If it weren't for God, Where would we be today? If it weren't for God and his mercy and his grace, if it weren't for God who gives us health and strength, you know, the, the athlete that, that brags about what they're going to do, and we have all these athletes signing 13-year contracts, there's no guarantee that in six months they don't just blow out their knee and their Achilles heel and is done. God's grace in our lives. We need 
So first of all, understand it, and then secondly, speak of it. So glorifying God starts with the realization that we can do nothing apart from him. In him we live and move and have our being. Our very breath comes from God. The scripture says that we cannot add to our life. And I know it's very popular to talk about people who struggle and they fight and, you know, and, and we say, wow, you know, here they have persevered. It's the grace of God. Any one of us tonight could have a heart attack. We have no power over our life or our death. Our hands, our lives are in the hands of God. So we should engage in behaviors with an appropriate attitude and end in view. Thus one does not boast or brag about one's accomplishments, but as I say, defers and gives glory to God. Fourthly, and what I am doing is what I am doing demonstrating an ultimate trust in someone or something other than God. To whom do we turn in our time of need? The psalmist again says in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. God is glorified in the deliverance of his people. We can think of so many examples. You can. You can think of Daniel in the lion's den. You can think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego cast into the fiery furnace. You can think of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. We can go on and on and on how people were in great need and distress and called upon God, and as a result of his hearing and answering, he is glorified. And he is glorified because we know those stories. We know what took place. We are aware of the accounts. May we be more quick to share with one another God's answer to prayer in our own lives. Our own struggles, our own difficulties, our own times when we didn't know where the next penny was coming from. When we didn't know or we felt helpless, or we felt lost, and we prayed and cried out to God, and he helped us. God is glorified when we acknowledge our dependence upon him and the strength and enablement that he gives. And so even our rejoicing in difficult times, out of a trust that believes that he will help me brings glory to God.
Lastly, is our ultimate aim in life to live our lives to bring honor and glory to God? Big picture. As I said, life is a series of a lot of small decisions. But now we need to zoom out and just ask ourselves a bigger question, a, a, a question about life's choices, about purpose, aim for us. Can we honestly say that we have dedicated ourselves to try to bring honor and glory to God in every situation. This runs so contrary to our culture that we really need to reflect on that great question. In the book of Jeremiah, and uh, we have been looking at portions of Jeremiah in connection with 2 Kings. And in the account, there is an individual who's named Baruch. Baruch is the secretary to Jeremiah. He is the one who is to write down the words that are dictated from the mouth of Jeremiah. He is the one who's to take it and to read the word of God publicly. And as a result, his life is threatened. Life doesn't look too good for Baruch. And he is lamenting his condition and situation. To which these words are given. And do you see great things for yourself? Seek them not. Are you seeking great things for yourself? Seek them not. In our culture and in our society, it's all about self. And it's all about getting as much for yourself as you can in all areas. Notoriety prominence, fame, importance. If what you want is notoriety, prominence, fame, looked up to, revered, respected, put on a pedestal, then you're not going to bring honor and glory to God. He is the one who deserves to be on the pedestal. And those times in which we are honored we are going to deflect it to our God and give him the praise. We want wealth. We want luxury. We want ease. We want rest. We want peace. We want a cushy life. And we work hard to that end. But if that is the ultimate purpose of our life, to just simply make it as enjoyable and as pleasurable as possible, then we can't bring honor and glory to God, for he calls us to do hard and difficult things.
things that are humiliating, things that bring reproach as opposed to praise, things that make people's heads scratch as we don't conduct ourselves in the way that other people conduct ourselves. And we find ourselves alienated because our friends and sometimes even our family are not supportive of the decisions that we make for it makes no sense to them. So this whole idea of doing everything to the honor and glory of God is a recognition that I must be subservient to him. We must have the hard attitude of a John the Baptist who says he must increase and I must decrease. When everyone was coming to John saying to John, you know, Jesus' disciples are baptizing more than you baptize. He's getting the crowds. You're not. That did not bring anger. That did not bring lament. That did not bring sorrow. That did not bring a spirit of competition to the heart and mind of John. No, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And then he goes on to say, and I'm not worthy, in essence, to tie his shoestring. It really takes that kind of submission if we're really going to bring honor and glory to God in everything that we say and do. He's deserving of that. He must increase. And for him to increase, it means we must decrease. Not that we can't occupy places of influence, but what is the purpose of that influence? How is that influence used? Is it to better people's lives? Is it to bring glory to God? Is it to accomplish his purposes? Or is it to make me more important or more rich or what have you? It's what we do with our lives. But this goal to bring honor to glory of God in all things is less about our activity, that is, what it is that we do, and more about our motive in what we do. Why is it that we do it? This goal turns the most mundane, lowly, seemingly inconsequential and insignificant activity in life to one of having great eternal importance and significance. This is what the reformers referred to as the priesthood of believers. That every, every vocation has its own dignity and worth that is associated with it. You don't have to be a, a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary to be doing the work of God and to be furthering his kingdom. But in all of our activities, no matter how lowly the position, no matter how seemingly insignificant the job, when it's done out of a heart of devotion, to do it in such a way that God is glorified by giving myself to the labor 
where I'm giving my employer a full day's work, when I'm doing it without griping and complaining and have a cheerful spirit, when I'm trying to be an encouragement to my fellow worker and recognize that the way I do my job is going to affect him, when I'm worried about the product that I am producing and knowing that someone is going to have to use it, I want them to have a reliable product. When I am doing it with the right motives to bring glory to God, then that is a beautiful thing. I'm looking at my notes and I realize I copied the wrong portion of scripture out of my uh, Bible. What I wanted was from Ephesians where it talks about the man who does his work not as a eye pleaser to men but out of a desire to please God. That our jobs aren't about simply paychecks. And the reward isn't simply the increase that we get in that paycheck as a result of our hard work. But our labors, our everyday activities are done in such a way that we do it with the recognition that God is worthy of my all. He is worthy of my best. I'm going to do it to my best of my ability as a way of honoring and glorifying him. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be reliable. I'm going to be dependable. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe. I'm going to rejoice in a God who has watched over me and protected me and has allowed me to live and is giving me a living. He is giving us our daily bread. In the most mundane and simplest of things, whether therefore you eat or you drink, there is nothing more simple or basic in life than eating and drinking. I remember some of you will remember the name Robert Dunsweiler. He had an incredible influence on my life. He was my theology professor at Biblical Theological Seminary, and I just appreciate that man so much. And I remember him saying in a class one day, with tears in his eyes, and he often got tears in his eyes, which is one of the reasons I loved him so much. He was so sincere. And he said, the heathen cannot even drink a cup of water without sinning because they fail to recognize the goodness and grace of God in giving them that water. I am sure that everyone in this room before they say grace, before they eat their meal, say grace. 
and you offer thanks. But has it become rote? Is it really heartfelt? Do we really recognize every time that we eat and drink that once again God has provided for us? Once again, my bodily functions work. I can drink, I can swallow. My body can take nourishment. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness of God. God is glorified as we make him the author of all that is good. And we praise him and give him thanks for his sovereign care over us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to glorify you in the mundane, in the most simple aspects of our lives. Lord, help us to live them in such a way that you are lifted up, that we see your grace constantly and recognize that you are the giver and you are the sustainer of our lives. Every day that we have is a gift from you. Lord, help us not to look to ourselves, but look to you. Help us not to take credit, but to give credit to you. And Lord, help us not to seek great and mighty things for us, but to seek them for you and your people. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.